So, uh, happy Resurrection Day. You may have noticed that we're celebrating Jesus rising from the dead. And it's uh, great to come together. You know, uh, uh, we've had a fascinating year full of ups and downs. But despite all the limitations, uh, uh, a good number have made it into the building uh, this morning. And you've resisted the urge of ripping off your mask at the sort of high moments of a happy day. And... Uh, uh, Countervening all the uh, legislation in place, and uh, as you worship, I hope you felt your heart fill with gratitude, with thankfulness uh, for our rescue. You know, there's nothing we could do to rescue ourselves, but God reached in and rescued us, and uh, uh, it's just so good to remind ourselves of that, especially on today of days. And uh, I just want to spend. Just the, the next uh, sort of 20 minutes just thinking about this historical event being a lot more than just a historical event. Yes, it took place. Yes, we can look back. Yes, we can say it was happened 2,000 years ago and it was in this place and these people were witnesses. But it is more than that. So, I'm just going to make sure this works before... So, uh, last summer, uh, it was kind of like slight out of lockdown and me and my family got to go to Cornwall and as we're on the beach, the weather became grim. Uh, that's the wonderful thing about holding in the UK. You never know what the weather's going to be. All you do and you know it's going to rain at some point. And so, uh, we were on the beach and the weather came grim. And you could see all the sunbathers and all the people playing in the sand and enjoying the heat suddenly put on sort of clothes and look a bit upset that things were going a bit pear-shaped. But as uh, the clouds came over and the wind took up, uh, it made the sea a lot more interesting. Suddenly what looked like some sort of glass became this turmoil, became uh, this rough uh, landscape full of movement and drama. And uh, those uh, optimistic people were on, uh, sort of floating in the sea and they had their surfboards and it looked really dull and boring when the sun was out and the sea was calm and you were like, those are idiots, they need to go and find some other way to get their kicks. But as the wind picked up, as the storm came in, as the clouds covered us, suddenly uh, this boring, uninteresting, placid sport suddenly looked really fascinating, suddenly it looked impressive, suddenly you wanted to join in and uh, I am someone that likes to join in, it's uh, apart from sort of line dancing, if there's something going on that I want to get involved and so I saw these surfers uh, sort of catching these majestic waves and I had a little word with my wife just to check that uh, um, the kids wouldn't kill themselves in my absence. Um, and I went to the back of the beach and there is like this mysterious cave. It's essentially this concrete cave uh, under this restaurant and you go in and there are guys uh, that uh, just sort of the, that leathered skin, uh, long bedraggled hair, you know they've spent uh, most of their life 
out on the waves. And I started chatting to him and I was trying to convince him that what I needed was the fastest pro board he had. Uh, but in the end, he wound me back in and I got like the big beginner's uh, board. So there I was with my ill-fitting wetsuit that kind of uh, uh, didn't hide anything and uh, a massive, great 10-foot surfboard, uh, like well taller than me, and it looked like it had shark bites taken out of it. And um, so it doesn't fill you with confidence when you get out there. Um, and so I came out, we're feeling rather awkward in this wetsuit and with a board that didn't look like it was seaworthy in any uh, shape or form. Um, and uh, I came there with a sense of optimism because I had watched um, bodyboarding videos. Uh, the wanted my kids to learn, and so I was teaching them before the sort of uh, storm came in. And uh, I'd watched bodyboarding videos and how to bodyboard, and like the very slow, gentle way of catching a wave. And I thought I was pretty much prepared for it. <laughs> When the storm comes in, waves that were kind of knee-height to a grasshopper grow. And, and as I overheard various surfer conversations, I realised that we're in now 10-foot waves. And there's something about being out of your depth in 10-foot waves with a moth-eaten 10-foot surfboard, an ill-fitting wetsuit that kind of um, uh, unseats you from your comfortable place. And suddenly, those calm, peaceful-looking bodyboarding videos didn't seem to be appropriate at all. I needed some other way of catching it, because what was happening, these 10-foot waves would crash, and like you either had to catch the wave or somehow survive it. And you didn't get a sort of 10-foot wave every couple of minutes. You got them constantly, and so you were constantly trying to stay afloat, trying to grab this board, and then what made it more interesting, you had some decent surfers. And so they would catch a wave and hurtle towards you what, what felt like 100 miles an hour. And suddenly the uh, wonderful, uh, pristine, serene YouTube videos of how to bodyboard, these textbooks that I've looked at seem utterly pointless. You can't learn to bodyboard in that sort of environment by looking at these YouTubers. And so what you had to do, you had to look at how the surfers were positioning because the waves wouldn't come in evenly, they would break differently um, and at different heights and you had to work out what waves were good um, uh, quite a way off and then sort of position yourself. You had to paddle in front of them and suddenly I was learning not by reading the books and the YouTube videos but looking at the people that knew how to surf and trying copy them. I managed, I think, to get on top of the board standing for a fleeting few seconds, but I felt king of the world when it finally happened and then obviously got completely wiped out and sort of uh, the lifeguard started looking at me a little concernedly. Um, and it's one thing to be educated by something. It's one thing to be told about something, but it is another to learn at the feet of someone that has experienced it firsthand. And so this morning my ambition is that we don't simply say with our mouths, oh, I've been saved, 
I don't want us to simply recite tired comments about, yes, Jesus has wiped me clean. But I want us to know in our hearts a saviour who did everything for us. And he will lead us where we need to go. It is the most beautiful thing we will encounter. It's the most important aspect of life to breathe in. Now, I'm afraid it'll take a little bit of work to get where we're going, but I think it is worth it. If you have a Bible, either a physical one or uh, on your phone, I encourage you to open it up uh, to Matthew chapter 12. This is not the sort of passage you expect to be read on Oh Happy Day, but here we are anyway. So it says this in uh, Matthew 12. It says this in Matthew 12. It's Jesus speaking. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, even more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And just in case you didn't catch that this is a metaphor, Jesus then goes on and says, uh, the final condition of that person is worse uh, than the first. And this is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now this is a cryptic uh, bit of text that we could spend all day looking at different aspects of it. But Jesus is simply saying, when someone is freed of spiritual oppression, the tyrant doesn't just vanish, it moves away. Instead of just vanishing, the tormentor goes into this bizarre wilderness. And in that place of wilderness, it is deeply uncomfortable. This spirit kind of yearns to inhabit someone. And if the person that they uh, were rescued from doesn't recognise Jesus as saviour, that person is vulnerable. Jesus can do amazing things with people that don't know Jesus. People can do Jesus can do amazing things with people uh, that haven't confessed him as Lord and Saviour. It is one of the great entry points into the faith is that Jesus does a work on you and then suddenly you come to faith. But if you don't follow Jesus after that moment of liberation, you become vulnerable because you haven't replaced one thing with the other. And Jesus says that if uh, uh, that person doesn't turn to him, that oppressive spirit can return and make things worse than they ever were. And it's a dramatic warning. Jesus is warning us. If, the, if we and others are touched by him and we don't pursue him with our heart, soul and mind, then things may end up worse than they were. There is a spiritual vacuum that our former oppressors will fill. 
And Jesus says the same thing in the parable of the sower. He talks about the kingdom of God being sown and then all sorts of different things robbing that person of that message of liberation, of uh, how rootlessness, persecution and worries can extinguish the good thing that happened. And so we have a pattern that Jesus brings to our attention. He says, you know, I can come and do a great thing. I can do a marvellous thing. I can bring life and liberty and freedom and healing and wellness into a person's life. But if they don't follow me, trouble comes. But for this morning, I want you to just pay attention to this symbol that Jesus brings of a worse situation. He says someone was oppressed, Jesus interrupts, and then the Spirit returns. And we are given a very significant symbol. He says that there are seven spirits that accompany the first. And what seven represents for Jews is a, uh, a symbol of completeness, of wholeness, of uh, utter uh, um, fullness. And Jesus says that if someone, he rescues someone and they don't follow him, there will be a uh, utter cruelty that wasn't there before. There will be a wholesale oppression that is worse than the first time. So I want you to get in your minds that this, the, to be uh, uh, inhabited by seven demons is the worst possible state a human can be in. There is nothing worse than this seven uh, uh, unclean spirits state. And I want you to have that in your mind, as that is the very uh, worst position to be in. If you've enjoyed the uh, Chosen series, you'll recognise this lady. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the writer works harder than all the others to include and reference women. Women play... Uh, a prominent role as in real life in the text itself. And in chapter 7 we have a beautiful moment. Jesus is attended by a woman of infamous sinfulness. It is uh, likely she was a prostitute and she just adores Jesus. And the religious people get all upset. What is this person doing? Uh, worshipping Jesus. Doesn't Jesus know who she is? That she is unclean. That she is wretched. And uh, Jesus has that famous uh, phrase, you know, who's going to love me more? The people that are forgiven lots or those that are forgiven little? And I think you see it in church all the time. The people that know how much they're forgiven, they are full of grace and liberty and there's just a lightness to them uh, uh, that is just really attractive. While we who think we've behaved really well, and Jesus probably does owe us in some way, uh, uh, we bring things down and we frown at the sinner and the person not behaving like we would have them behave. And so you have this beautiful moment in chapter 7 of Luke. 
And then Jesus, Jesus moves on and we're told that he moves about, you know, he wants to get the word out about the kingdom of God and he preaches and he travels and he doesn't travel on his own, he travels with a group of friends. And if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8. This is this moment after the sinful woman uh, anoints Jesus' feet. This is after the self-righteous religious elite have been put in their place. And it says this, after this Jesus travelled about with, from one town and village to another. What did he do? He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene with whom seven demons had come out. That should uh, set off alarm bells in your heads because of what we've just read. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, uh, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many other women. Uh, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. This, despite what you may think, is the only reference to Mary Magdalene outside the uh, crucifixion and resurrection accounts. We don't know anything else about Mary Magdalene. People have connected her to the women uh, uh, that washed Jesus' feet with the perfume and stuff, but this is the only uh, specific reference to this woman. And we find that this Mary is called Magdalene. And you're like, well, what does that mean? And it's just a town. It was just a town on the, uh, on the western shore of Galilee. And it's the town of Magdala. And Mary was from there. Um, and so a bit like uh, sort of uh, Bianca or Ruth being called Bubush, you know. Well, wonderful uh, 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 name to go by. But, but that, was the, uh, that was the culture they lived in. And, and, and so she was also known um, as the town that she was from. And uh, it sounds like she travelled widely with Jesus. And it looks like, despite being uh, oppressed by uh, these unclean spirits, she was a significant lady of wealth, that she had a business, that she had uh, a, a healthy bank account, and she could bankroll Jesus and his 12 freeloading disciples. It's quite a different gospel when you say it like that isn't it? And so this wealthy woman uh, that was able to uh, be successful despite being demonised, um, she was now bankrolling uh, uh, Jesus and his ministry. And we see this moment that she had seven devils. She was absolutely spiritually oppressed. She was in prison. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was no hope. She was in absolute darkness. She knew nothing of liberty and freedom. Uh, this seven demons is language that says this woman couldn't have been in a worse state. She might well have been a successful businessman, a businesswoman, but she only knew darkness and depression and sadness. And then, 
And then, a 30-year-old man appeared. Probably spoke something nice, and suddenly she could breathe. Suddenly she could think. Suddenly she could live. Suddenly she had hope. Suddenly there was a future. Suddenly her wealth could do good. Suddenly she could achieve stuff. Suddenly life was worth living. Suddenly the sky could be blue. Suddenly her family was something that could bring her joy. Suddenly life was coloured in. And uh, that moment uh, in the Chosen series is very good. Um, that says, uh, when she's being questioned, um, and goes, so what happened? And she goes, uh, I was one way and now I'm completely different. And the only thing that uh, happened in between was him. And you have this moment where Jesus takes this woman who was in complete darkness and brings her into life. There are a wide variety of techniques today that you can use to cope. If you're in darkness and sadness, if life doesn't bring you joy, if your mental health is poor. There's all sorts of different ways that you can win little victories. I went on a training course uh, last Monday that told me all the different uh, phone lines I could call, all the different counsellors I could bring in uh, and there's everything, uh, sometimes we self-medicate with alcohol and cigarettes, sometimes we take on board the medication the doctors give us, and sometimes we use practices like sort of uh, um, that sort of cognitive thinking uh, thing or meditation, and it can look like we're functioning, we manage what we're struggling with. But there are only ways to manage it. Only Jesus is the Lord of all situations. Only he is the king of them. Every, um, every other approach is an inferior substitute to him. He made us and knows us. He saw you in your mother's womb before you were even conceived. He looks at you and he sees through all your defences, all your pretences, all the different barriers you put up in front of everybody else. And he looks at you and he can deal with the root cause. And because of what he did on that cross, because of the empty tomb, the victory he won means that he alone can promise eternal life. He alone can offer you life in this and the next. The textbooks on a better life may look impressive. All the other techniques and ways of managing may help. But what you need, most importantly above everything else, is the gifted expert to come into your life. And so let me be clear. If you don't need Jesus... If you don't know Jesus, you need to ask him in. Because there's no other hope for eternity than him. And he will change your life forever. I'm not saying that sometimes you don't want that glass of wine 
or a uh, paracetamol, but he is the life giver. And so, as we close, I want to, uh, want to read one of my favourite moments of the resurrection story. If you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 20. Listen to this great story. John chapter 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. This is Mary Magdalene. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Can you sense this ferocious devotion to Jesus? She had been in perfect darkness. This seven spirit oppression that meant light had no colour. And Jesus had come in, turned it upside down and made life worth living again. And even if she could just give the honour to Jesus' body, that would be something, something, something small to pay him back for the transformation she wrought, he walked in her life. And then it says this, Jesus said to her, Mary, not Magdala or Magdalene or Bubush, she said to her, Mary, and she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended yet to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. She was the first person to meet the resurrected Jesus. She was the first person to announce the good news. She was the first true carrier of the gospel. Mary from Magdala, who Jesus had put back together, had seen Jesus die that terrible death. And she attended the graveside in a forlorn hope to give some small recognition to what he had done. And in the darkness of the early morning, before the sun had even risen, she meets this guy and he simply says her name, Mary. And suddenly everything changes. A gladness that she knew in her heart from, from days previously. And she recognised the tone of voice from the man that she'd followed uh, for so long. He was alive. He had beaten 
death. He had done exactly as he said he was going to do. He had won. He had beaten sin and death and evil and he was looking forward to ascending to his heavenly father's side. And it is not hard, it is not any stretch of the imagination to see the wonder and gladness and tears in this eyes of this sold out disciple. She had known perfect blackness and now she knew perfect light. This lady who had been possibly in the sorriest state of anyone that Jesus had met gets to, to be called by name and gets to announce first his resurrection. My friends, Jesus isn't a remote historical character. He doesn't just come at us from the books of history and scripture. He is someone that even today would come to you closer than a friend. He would be someone that would help in every situation. There is no situation that we cannot call on his name and know him at our side. He is the world's expert at overcoming guilt and sadness and evil. And he is the only expert ever to have overcome each and everything that you have suffered. I'm not talking from a uh, position of remote uh, uh, theory. I know him. I know this Jesus. I know he's risen again. I'm living proof. If I was the only man today, I would be living proof that he is alive. He has saved me out of a sorry state. And even now, I walk with him. This morning, I went for a run through the woods on uh, Resurrection Sunday, and he was with me. Probably he wasn't breathing as heavily as I, and sweating as outrageously as me. But we were there and we were talking and uh, his company is sweeter than any other. His presence is more beautiful uh, than anyone else you care to think of. I have no better or closer friend than Jesus of Nazareth. There is none like him. And so we celebrate Resurrection Day quite rightly. And I want you, each of you, listening uh, online and in this building, hear him say your name. You are not just another part of the horde. He will say your name to you and he will reach out and he would rescue you. He would rescue you from yesterday and from today and he will save your tomorrow to. And I welcome you to know his embrace and enjoy his company forever. Please bow your heads. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you came and you lived perfectly 
and you died wretchedly, but you rose again victoriously. Lord God, we thank you on this Resurrection Day morning. We can celebrate your victory. We can join you in it. We can know the liberty and freedom only you bring. We can know the hope and promise of a future that you are only the custodian of. Lord Jesus, I pray for myself and everyone uh, in this building and watching online that each of us would know you as Lord and Saviour and perhaps more personally we would know you as friend. We would hear you call us by name. That we would know your individual care and attention. The fact that you are very well aware of our situation. That you are acutely informed of our past and yet you offer us a tomorrow that is bright and glorious and all God's people said Amen, Amen.